welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we are assessing the harms and threats to independent contracting through a new Department of Labor rule. As more and more Americans are choosing flexible and entrepreneurial jobs, how will reclassifying independent contractors to employees change the opportunities and benefits that many workers seek? Well, joining us to break it all down is Leah Palagashvili. She is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center, and her primary research interests include entrepreneurship, regulation, and the gig economy. She has public, published academic articles, book chapters, policy papers, and more in such outlets such as the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And in 2016, she was named one of the Forbes 30 Under 30 in Law and Policy. Leah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show. So I think as we jump into this new rule that the Department of Labor has imposed, we should first talk about when we say independent contractors, what exactly do we mean? How is that defined and how many independent contractors are currently working in the country? So that's a great that's a great question, Beverly. So you can think about independent contractors as anyone who does who makes income outside of the traditional um, payroll w two work arrangement employment arrangement. And so they can be freelancers, gig workers, contractors such as electricians or plumbers um, and other self-employed individuals. So people who are outside, who work outside of the employment, you know, standard employment arrangement. And I'm assuming this comprises of a lot of women, maybe women who are mothers and want to have a side hustle at the same time, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's one of the things that people don't often think about because when they think of independent contractor or gig worker, they think of your Uber driver and then they've got this like narrow mindset about uh, an Uber driver being representative of a gig worker or an independent contractor, but that's not actually the case. Um if you if you don't if you take out the transportation sector entirely, women actually comprise um greater than men in the as digital earners um and as independent contractors. And according to tax data, we've seen the greatest growth among women as independent contractors since 2000. And part of the reason is because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of women are primary caregivers. And so they need and may require flexible job arrangements so that they can work um, in a way to, you know, they have to be able to schedule work around their family priorities or primary caregiving uh, priorities. And we've actually seen research studies illustrating exactly this point as well. And this ability to have flexibility in your work definitely increased under COVID. It gave a lot of people more opportunities. We could see that work could be done differently. So have we seen an increase in independent contracting post-COVID as well? We have. We've seen an increase in independent contracting uh, post-COVID. We've um, seen it in different sectors. The biggest sector um, that we've seen an increase in is in app-based workers, actually. So there was, an, uh, there was a study done using tax data, so official tax data, and they found a huge increase post-COVID of workers in app-based and transportation sector. Um, and then also, if we look at freelancers specifically, not thinking about gig workers and so forth, we also saw an increase and we do see an increase of more women in those spaces as well post-COVID. So since we see an increase, it leads one to believe that people seem pretty happy with this arrangement. Otherwise, they wouldn't self-select to go into it. Are most people happy? And if so, why is the Department of Labor trying to make changes? 
Yeah, that, that's that's a great point. So according to the survey um, evidence, the uh, the one of the most important ones is from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, almost 80% of independent contractors said that they prefer their arrangement and they do not want an employment arrangement. That was specifically in the question. So they said they do not want an employment arrangement. Um, every other survey that I've seen as well, you have the majority of uh independent workers wanting to be in those roles. And again, they cite things like flexibility. Um, part of that, you know, when when you ask them further, like why, why do you need flexible work arrangements? A lot of them say for personal circumstances or family arrangements and so forth. Um, other times, independent work is a supplemental income for workers who already have W-2 arrangements, those are full-time employment arrangements. And so they like the flexibility of being able to have a, a job that they can supplement maybe after 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., maybe drive as an Uber driver, for example, for an hour after work. And so, um, you know, that's it's a lot harder to do if it's an employment arrangement because it's harder to schedule two employment arrangements to fit the right schedules and so forth. And so, a lot of those workers who are supplemental earners also comment on the fact that they can make this income and they need a flexible job arrangement because it's supplemental income. It's not their full-time job. And so what the Department of Labor is trying to do, as you just said there, is turn independent contracting into full-time employment. Why is it that they're doing this and what is it going to change? Is it all about benefits or are there other sides to this that it's going to change? So the Department of Labor is issuing a new rule that would make it uh, more difficult to be classified as an independent contractor um, nationwide, across all industries, across all occupations. Now, the reason that they're doing this is because they want to try to get um, organizations and businesses, small or large, to try to work with individuals as employees, so hire them as employees instead of as contractors. And in their and their goal and their mindset is this rule will lead to more workers being reclassified as employees, uh, and and um, the, this is important for them because if you're an employee, you are um, you've access to employment based benefits and protections, so health insurance, um, unemployment insurance, and also you're subject to things like minimum wage laws. Uh, you're also able to form a union, engage in collective bargaining. If you're an independent contractor, you can't. And so it's their way of trying to get more workers to be employees so that these employees can have access to common workplace benefits and protections. But is it really to benefit these individuals or, as you were just talking there, what this does for businesses? Because when I read up on the DOL rule, one of the things they state is that this will provide greater clarity and consistency for businesses. So is this more of a business focus versus thinking as a per person as an individual? So maybe they say, well, it's better for you because you're going to get benefits. But is this really to benefit the businesses? Well, um, it'll be harder for businesses, especially small businesses. Um, one thing that most people um, don't realize is because they, again, they have this perception that contractors, independent contractors, gig workers are all they're all part of these like large companies, right? But in fact, when we look at official tax data, we've seen the greatest growth um, of independent contractors among small and low wage firms. So that's that's small businesses under twenty employees. And as just to highlight um, something similar that has happened in California with California's AB5, which was 
um, and is the currently the nation's uh, strictest rule for being an independent contractor in the United States. And so when uh, it's called AB5, short for Assembly Bill 5. So that was passed in September 2019 and went into effect January 1st, 2020. Immediately, the people who were impacted the most were, were small businesses. So small theaters had to close down, dance studios who had contractors and employees, right? And it was um, a lot of them cited that they just weren't sure if they were complying with the law and they didn't want to they didn't want to deal with it and they didn't know what was going on. And so at that time, they had to let go a bunch of contractors and some of them actually closed down. So like um, operas and studios and then a lot there was a lot of pushback from freelancers, um, musicians, translators and so forth so much that they had to exempt a lot of different professions and occupations. Um, you know, nine months later after the rule went into effect. And so indeed, uh, we, myself as an economist and others suspect that this type of rule will actually impact and hurt businesses, small businesses the most. Uh, they don't have, they're more resource constrained. They don't have big law firms to, to work with. Um, they can't file large lawsuits. Um, and so um, a, as a result, we've seen uh a lot of small businesses come forth and talk about how they're against this rule because uh, it's going to hurt them the most. Whereas larger companies, a lot of the platform gig worker companies, uh, gig excuse me, gig companies actually came out and said that you know we're in compliance with the law and we don't. It's not going to affect our business operations in any way. So you do see um, small businesses kind of being the most vocal about this. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, one one more thing I wanted to point out is. It's also um, in, in it's their intention, Department of Labor's intention that more of these workers, independent contractors and freelancers will become employees. And that's the goal of, of, of the regulation. When we did a study of California's AB5 looking at did it increase the number, did it increase more workers being traditional employees? Um, and what, what we found in a recent study is actually it didn't even meet that goal. We, we don't see an increase of traditional employees in the occupations that were um, not exempt from California's AB5. And then, indeed, what we what we find instead is that we see uh, significant declines in self-employment and overall employment for the affected occupations in California. And so, as a result, uh, if we extend kind of that analysis, the Department of Labor rule, it's not clear that the Department of Labor will, will definitively lead to more workers being traditional employees with all these proper benefits and protections. Why does government see it in their best interest that people are classified as employees? How does it benefit the government, whether on a state level or on a federal level? Um, well, so one one might say that more workers having access to uh, employee benefits and protections is is better for you know better for the society and so forth. There's another sort of uh, interpretation of the um, intention of of this, and that's that it it helps labor unions a lot. Um, you know, part of the push for California's AB five were um, it, you know it was all labor unions. Um, and the reason labor unions would like these independent contractors to be employees is because uh, independent contractors can't engage in collective bargaining legally, whereas employees can. So the, the more growth that we see in workers as independent contractors and freelancers, that's fewer employees that can be that can join a union. 
if that makes sense. And yeah. so um, there is this sort of intent, potential intention behind some of these rules that are backed by by labor unions. And we even, when, when AB5 California's law took an effect, we actually had somebody on this podcast. He works as Santa, obviously only in the Christmas holidays. And he was <laughs> saying how for his work, it makes no sense to be an employee because his work is only for one month out of the year, maybe six weeks out of the year. And so I think what's so interesting about the government trying to force not just independent contractors, but like you were saying, force small businesses to operate this way with their vendors is it doesn't match the innovation that we've had in the workplace. It doesn't match where people are today. Is this just another sign that government's nine to five mentality, 40 hours a week, work in the same job for four decades, get your pension is just such an outdated way of looking at work. Yeah, that's gone. <laughs> and especially post-COVID, Beverly, if you look at the surveys of workers, um, the the preference for a flexible job arrangement increased, increased significantly post-COVID. So I think people kind of got a little bit of a sense of, you know, job flexibility during COVID, work from home and so forth. And then uh, when offices were like, okay, everyone returned back to the office, they were like, uh-uh, I got my, <laughs> I got my little dip of flexibility and I want more of it. And so um, in some, in some of these surveys, for example, when they asked, why aren't you returning back to work? People were saying, we're looking for more flexible job arrangements. And in some of the freelance surveys, you saw a, a growth of people who said they left traditional employment um, during COVID and now became freelancers or self-employed or other or independent contractors post-COVID precisely because they want job flexibility. And, and maybe they want to determine who their own clients are and what kind of jobs they do that they want to do themselves. Right. Because the relationship between an employee and an employer or like you and your boss is that the boss sets the agenda for the type of work that you have to do for the hours that you have to work. And yeah, there's negotiation on, you know, I, I want, you know, four weeks off this year instead of two weeks and so forth. And I want to come in at 10 a.m. instead of at 8 a.m. Um, but that's vastly different type of flexibility that we're talking about when you're a freelancer or an independent contractor or when you're a gig worker and all you're, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to open up the app right now and work right now, but hold on, I have to go pick up my kid at school. School's ending early today for some reason. Let me turn off the app and go and go pick up, you know, the kid from school. And so you, you, you do see that growth and this, and I really, I think it's really important and it's not just the government, but it's. Um, I think it's older generations too of like you work for one job, one company or sorry, one career, one company, nine to five. And, you know, that's it. That's great. That's a great job. And you have a steady uh, source of income and you have um, levels of benefits and, and everything and everything kind of grows and there's job security and promotions are all catered in and everything's, you know, good to go. And I think um, that's vastly different than the mindset that we're seeing of the younger generation, where it's, let me find my own clients, and maybe I prefer job flexibility over job stability, right? And so we're seeing those differences emerge. And I think as a result, the nature of work is changing, and more and more workers are trying to enter into this future economy where your jobs are more flexible, they want more flexible benefits. They don't want a benefit. They don't want health insurance tied to one employer. And in the context of independent workers um, or freelancers who might have multiple different clients, 
it's, it doesn't make sense to have, you know, a benefit tied to one company or one client, so to speak. Right. Um, again, think about a photographer who's a freelancer, or a graphic designer who's a freelancer. They ha- might have 10 different clients or companies that they contract with in a given month, right? And so we're also thinking about new ways to structure benefits so that um, benefits are decoupled from employment and then they follow the worker. They tra- right. they stay with the worker and they travel with the worker because that's the way that we need to be thinking about, you know, the new economy evolving and what it means for benefits and all of that. So in some sense, the tensions that we're seeing today and the reason why we're getting these rules like the Department of Labor rule, California's AB5, is because worker preferences have shifted and the nature of work has shifted, but regulations are like, no, no, you got to get work everything has to say with one company and one job and one employment, and that hasn't changed. And so we're seeing all these tensions. And so it's more important to think about more innovative, um, innovative policy solutions that can embrace kind of the changing nature of work and that can embrace that people might want flexible job arrangements. They might not want an employment arrangement anymore. And that will allow, you know, workers to better step into the future. And so let's look at when this is going to be official and enacted on a nationwide basis. For those independent contractors out there, some of whom are listening right now, what do they need to be be prepared for? What are the steps that they need to take? Or what is the government going to do in reaching out to them? How is this going to work just operationally? So first, the first thing I want to point out, by the way, is um, for those freelancers and independent contractors who are familiar with California's AB5, they were looking out for, uh, you know, exemptions from the rule. And that happened. There's over 100 professions that were exempt from from the from California's AB5. And so those independent contractors and freelancers were looking out for, am I going to be exempt? How do we get exempt and so forth? Now, um, with the Department of Labor rule, they can't legally exempt any professions or occupations or small businesses. And so that's just something to put out there that we do, as an economist, I do expect the consequences of this rule to be far more widespread than California's AB5 was, precisely because no occupations, um, no professions will be exempt. Um, So that's one thing to take note. The other thing is, uh, you know, in March, the final rule is when the final rule goes into effect. There will be probably updates on the Department of Labor's website. Um, It's not clear what enforcement will look like. And one more thing to to keep an eye on is that there is several different lawsuits um, of different organizations, some freelancer groups, uh, some association groups that are uh, that have sued the Department of Labor. So it's possible that um, there might be an injunction and that the rule might not go into effect. And if people are listening and they want to make sure that their voice is heard, do you recommend they reach out to their member of Congress? Or are there some groups that would be good for them to reach out to just to show their support? So there is a group called Fight for Freelancers. It's a grassroots uh, kind of organization that brings together all the, you know, some some of the freelancers who, who are to be fair, afraid of losing their jobs or afraid of losing um, income opportunities because at least some businesses or some organizations or some clients might be afraid to continue working with them because maybe, you know, their relationship might look like 
in a, a potential employment or relationship according to the new rule. And so they've kind of come together under under this group. And so perhaps some independent contractors or freelancers might want to reach out to that group and they kind of have a, you know, a voice, um, you know, that they're trying to establish in that sense. Um, there's some... Um, there's some members of Congress who are looking at congressional review acts as well uh, on this rule. Um, and probably they could, you know, individuals could reach out to their representatives, as you mentioned, Beverly. Yeah, I just think it's such an important issue, especially as you were saying at the top of our conversation, how many women are freelancers, independent contractors, and this is going to touch everyone. Because as you were saying, it's, an, it's a nationwide rule. So many potential downfalls for people who work in this economy. So I think the more that people speak up, um, hopefully something can be done. So it's either not enacted or a lot of changes are made to what the current rule looks like. But thank you so much, Leah pa Palagashvili, who is with the Mercatus Center. We so appreciate your work on this and joining us on She Thinks. Thank you so much, Beverly. And thank you all for joining us. Before you go, IWF does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That's iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF, thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.